Hi, I'm Rachel, uh, Director at the Electricity Storage Network, and today I'm joined by Carl Murphy, who is at the National Grid ESO. So hi, Carl, how are you doing? I'm very well, Rachel. Thanks Thanks for having me. Great. Um, could you just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what it is that you that you do at the ESO? Sure. I'm uh, My job title is Head of Market Change Delivery, and my teams are responsible for developing new balancing and ancillary services to help meet the changing operability needs of the system and also for reforming our existing products to make them fit for the changing generation mix and the new operability challenges that we face and also to make them more accessible to new forms of demand side flexibility and generation and make them either equitable, open and transparent and competitive to deliver safe and secure and reliable electricity at the lowest cost to the consumer. Okay, nice easy job there. <laughs> yeah, I've asked you um, Colin, to talk today about markets. Um, so we've got our Electricity Storage Network annual marketplace event coming up at the end of January. Um, so we wanted to do a kind of session ahead of that to kind of simplify some of the chat around markets because it's quite complex. So I was kind of seeing today's session a bit, kind of putting some of the puzzle pieces together um, so that in the live sessions at the end of the month, where we'd be talking about the detail of dynamic containment and some of the other frequency markets, they'll make a little bit more sense to those that aren't necessarily involved in the day-to-day -day running of storage assets necessarily. So just wanted to make this a little bit broader. Yeah, so hopefully by the end of today, people might be a bit more familiar with terms like FFR, DC, balancing um, mechanism. And we might have some insight into some of the, the kind of markets and products that might be coming out in the future as well. So I've got a list of questions for you. So <laughs> I try not to like bombard them too much and we kind of have a chat. But um, I thought a kind of a good place to start initially would be kind of why do we operate a markets based system? Kind of what's the rationale behind that? Gosh, I'll have, to, I'll have to dust off my economics A-level. Um, <laughs> let, 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 if we take it back to basics, as the ESO, we have obligations to manage the electricity system in Great Britain. So we're responsible for operating the high-voltage electricity transmission network in a safe, secure, reliable, and also cost-efficient manner. Mm -hmm. So we have a number of rules in that. One is a residual balancer. So we need to make sure that the balance between supply and demand is maintained continuously. And we do this by refining the output and demand delivered by the wholesale market. The electricity system isn't a benign um, thing either. So there are a lot of system needs that we need to manage to ensure that energy is, is delivered safely, reliably and consistently. And so we also need to make sure that the system's operated within a number of defined limits and that any likely system events can be managed. And this is where markets come into play. We do it by accessing flexible generation close to real time in the balancing mechanism. And that's how we can increase or decrease the outputs. And by contracting for things we call balancing services or ancillary services to help meet these system needs. Um, and we'll do that typically um, ahead of time where we know that or are confident that the need will exist in real time. And what we're doing at the ESO, what we have been doing for the last number of years, is moving a lot of these markets closer to real time so mm -hmm. that renewables, so that demand side response, so that um, market operators who have less certainty around their, around their generation or their running can, can participate in these markets and make closer to real time decisions. Mm -hmm. Okay, 
Cool. That's really useful. Thank you. So you mentioned kind of wholesale market, you mentioned balancing mechanism there, you mentioned the kind of ancillary service markets. How do you see all those kind of fit together? And then I guess mostly what we're talking about today is the ancillary service markets. But Sure. sure. So we've got um, four main types of market mm-hmm. and, and it helps to think of them, I think, in terms of a timeline from as far out as possible going to real time. Um, and so that starts uh, kind of the furthest period out with the capacity market, uh, the, the EMR. And these are commercial arrangements administered and run by the EMR delivery body, which is run by the ESOs on behalf of Bayes um, and generators and consumers to guarantee provision of supplier demand reduction in future years. So this makes sure that we have an adequate supply to meet demand. And these are typically done four years ahead of time. So the T minus four option or one year ahead of time, the T minus one option. And this is all about capacity and generation adequacy. And then you've got the wholesale market. And this can be typically in bilaterals. It can be um, through power purchase agreements or it can be spot market or a day ahead market where um, for the sale and purchase of electricity between generators and suppliers ahead of time. Suppliers buy the energy they need ultimately to, to meet their customers' demand. And that can happen in forward markets bilaterally. It can happen day-ahead trading, and um, mostly day-ahead trading, or it can be intraday trading, but that's less. And then you move into the balancing market, balancing time scales. And this is typically an hour ahead of delivery. And at, at that point, we call the term gate closure. And this is where you enter into balancing time scales. And this is where the ESO picks up its role as the residual balancer. And so if we expect, if NGSO expects that supply and demand match, um, and that can be for, for any reason. Generators, consumers can be uh, can pay or be paid to change their output or their consumption to help balance us. And they do that in the balancing mechanism using bids and offers. And then you get to the point after real time. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you get into the kind of imbalance settlement period as well. Because uh, you're, you're very rare that you're going to get exactly the right volumes of, uh, of energy traded ahead of time. So Alexon, who um, another key industry body run a process to settle the difference between the energy account that each company has contracted and the actual volume that was was delivered and consumed, and then these costs are redistributed or distributed to the to the market participants. And so that takes you from, I guess, four years out all the way through to the half hour settlement period, and then what happens what happens after that. And we talked there about kind of four main markets: the capacity market is kind of market size, I think, somewhere in the region of about 55 gigawatts. And there's a, you know, up to kind of a billion pounds um, kind of annually in terms of its value. And participants are essentially paid a capacity fee to be available at times of system stress. Um, and the volumes purchased through a pay-as-clear auction for pre-qualified participants. And the volume, as I said, is bought at four years out or, or a year out. Then we talked about the wholesale market. And I think typically that's about a thousand terawatt hours in the UK of traded volume and probably somewhere in the region of about 300 terawatt hours delivered annually. And that gives you a value, I think, like somewhere like 55 billion. So it's, it's really significant. And as I say, that's participants trading standard products bilaterally or via, or via the exchanges. You know, that's where you get the electricity that gets the lights on and, and does stuff. And then we talk about the balancing mechanism and you know, you're talking about maybe 500 million pounds annually spent in the BM, and that's how the ESO keeps supply and demand balanced by accepting bids and offers 
in the BM to, to help to help do second by second minute by minute, et cetera, balance the plant amount. And then the other market that we've got them that I think we'd like to focus on today is the ancillary services market. Mm-hmm. And we spend somewhere in the region of about 450 million pounds annually on ancillary services. And we procure these services to help manage system needs and to balance supply and demand and ensure that kind of security and quality of electricity supply. And they include things like response products, so uh, firm frequency response or the new dynamic containment, that kind of sub-second mm-hmm. fast response uh, reserve products, so things like store, um, and then other operability or system need products like black start or restoration services, um, reactive power services, the things that we use to manage bolts on the network, and stability or constraint management products as well. So traditionally, they're procured bilaterally um, or via a bid-in tender tender process. Okay, cool. That's good. That's a great overview. Thank you. <laughs> so, so, yeah, focusing on the kind of ancillary service markets, like who are the kind of key players in that market? Who's mostly participating in them? So... Back in 2015, um, the ESO set out on a um, a campaign called the Power Responsive Campaign. And over the last five years, that's had that initial mandate to respond to the rapidly changing generation mix to you know this kind of three Ds, you know, decentralization, de- decarbonization, and, and digitization. And um, what we looked to do there, we set ourselves a target of achieving and 50% of our balancing services from what we classed as non-traditional um, participants. So not typically transmission connected, large thermal generators, but other, whether that's intermittent and renewable generators with demand side response and storage. And in 2018, we can hit that target. We saw that 50% of our balancing services on a, on a monthly basis were being tendered in from um, from decentralized, low-carbon, demand-side response and flexibility and storage assets. So we're seeing a real change in, in the generation mix and, and who's participating in those markets. What's the percentage-ish now, um, column of the people that are participating that of the kind of renewables and storage sector? That's a great question. I know that we are... Um, we are well above that. So I think we've got something like 77 unique providers in say a frequency response market and about 143 sites. And, and my understanding is the vast majority of, of, of those by number mm-hmm. is coming from is, is coming from decentralized and, and non-traditional demand side response and storage flexibility providers. All of the new dynamic containment product, for example, is being provided by um, by storage. Yeah, we've got a session specifically on the dynamic containment session with a Renko and EDF, actually, which is quite interesting. So, yeah, I just wondered, obviously, you know, you've made the commitment to operating a zero carbon system um, by 2025. Is that giving you the confidence then at the ESO that it is possible to kind of move at that kind of speed and scale to achieve that? I know you've committed to running it for maybe half an hour or it's not forever and not entirely, but I guess we're moving in that direction. I think it will happen because ultimately it has to happen. Mm-hmm. Decarbonisation is this generation's you know, challenge. It's mm-hmm. it's huge. And I think it will go the way that coal-free days went. We'll see it happening with a settlement period in a couple of hours or a day, a week, a fortnight, a month. You know, we've seen these records increasingly being broken. And what we've committed to do in the ESO is ensure that we're an enabler to decarbonisation. We don't get in the way. So that's not to mm-hmm. say that we are in any way going to refine 
the the generation mix, what we're going to do is say, we see the direction of travel, we see the change that's happening. And when the market expresses that carbon-free settlement period, that couple of hours, whatever it is, we will make sure that we've got the tools, processes, the systems, the markets, the capability in place to be able to accept that without having to without having to bid off wind in the in the BM and bring on a, a conventional thermal generator for for stability or for, for managed bolts or, or any other kind of system need. And that's 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 the goal. And we've seen this and we've set out the kind of journey to this in, in, in publications going back to say snaps in 2017 where we mm-hmm. talked about that changing generation mix, the impact that, that was having on how we operate the system and the tools and the capabilities that we need. And through our operability strategy report that we publish each year, the updates to the forward plan and that kind of direction of travel. I think we're confident that we're doing the right things and we're we're, we're working hard to make sure that 2025 um, is a reality, uh, a key milestone on the way to 2050. Yeah, no, it's an exciting time. I look forward to those kind of Guardian headlines where it says that the, the uh, rather than coal-free days, it would be operating at zero carbon for X number of days. I think it's definitely on that the horizon. I hope. Very cool. Um, so I guess, is there any kind of learning that you've had through the markets with COVID? Like, has any kind of key learnings that have come out of the change in demand patterns that we've seen over the last 10 months or so? I think the key learning for for us has been COVID's almost provided that window into the future. Mm-hmm. It's said, like, this is this is what the system's going to look like. This is what challenges you'll face when you're getting demands at less than 14 14 gig, you know, these are these are you know, significant challenges. Um, and I guess we've learned that the things that we thought would be a challenge are the things that are going to be a challenge. And um, that we are, you know, we're on the right track with a strategy. We're focusing on the right things and we need to now move at pace and work with industry to co-create the solutions that we need to address these challenges. And I think that's the, the real challenge. No one can, no one has a monopoly on good ideas. And we can't sit in a, an ivory tower or whatever in the ESO and dictate to the market because it's only by providing the data and the insight and sharing that with you know innovators and disruptors and, and, and new market participants and the business models that we're seeing evolve around the, the energy system that we can get there faster and that we can learn and work together and collaborate. And I think that's been one of the key learnings. We brought dynamic containment in this year, a uh, faster acting frequency response product. So we're, we're triggering that response in, in, in under a second. I struggle to know of a of a faster response product on any system anywhere in the world. So it's it's pretty pretty significant, pretty world leading. And how we did that was through a learning by doing approach. So we sort of we did a soft launch. We worked with the industry, we engaged with them. We told them, look, it's not going to be perfect day one. Mm-hmm. This is this is where the end state is. This is where we want to get to. This is how much of it we're going to buy. This is how it's going to operate. But right now and today, the best thing we can do is we can put it on there to help meet the challenging needs that we've got in this COVID period and build from there using using provider feedback to refine and to test and to learn and, and, and to develop and i guess that's that's been a big learning it's exposed us to some of the challenges we're gonna face it showed us that the strategy we're working on is the right one and um, by learning by doing and working with stakeholders we can get there faster and in a better way good at least there's some silver linings to uh covid19 has <laughs> given us a insight into the future which i'm, I'm grateful for I guess the, at the weekend and last week, we've seen a kind of a cold weather spell and so, you know potential system stress event. But what does that? How does that impact your decisions that you're making on markets? Are the people that you're you're calling on 
when you're offering, you know, thousand pound, fifteen hundred pound prices, are they are they coming out of the woodwork when you're expecting them to? Are they are they there? Are they kind of are they showing up when you want them to? Is is that is that working? That's a really good question. It's one that I'm I'm not particularly close to in in my role in markets, but I guess you know, basic principle is the the ENM, the electricity margin notice, is that signal, that price signal, really sharp, like you say, can be a really sharp price signal to the market of any kind of looming tightness in supply doesn't mean that there is any adequacy issue. All it means is that in the short term, we want a greater safety margin uh, between the power demand and the and the available supply. And it you know it's a very it's a very useful tool in that economic you know signal that price signal is is is, is effective. Got to look at look at all these things in the round and consider how we develop them going forward. Changing generation makes changing you know challenging conditions with COVID as well. So all of these things are are, are testing are testing the, the the processes in a way that's it's not necessarily normal. Mm-hmm. And are those prices? Do you think good value for the consumer? Is that the kind of do you feel like that's the right thing that we're doing? Is that I think, I think markets are really important to for, for price discovery, for investment decisions, and to ensure that we've got competition. Because it's through competition that we get you know efficient prices, that we get a market operating properly, that we you know, get value for the consumers. So I think by by showing the the, the value of of energy in, in in real time, it's it's an important commercial and financial instrument that helps helps meet the, the system need. Um, yeah, I guess. I was kind of thinking of our kind of management of the electricity storage network and yeah, the kind of the feedback that we're getting from people. Do you, what are you kind of seeing as the, any kind of barriers to entry to some of the, to some of the markets? Yeah. We, we've had a kind of some feedback on technology in the control room and actually looking in my, my WSI computer kind of algorithm, talking to your WSI computer algorithm, kind of as a kind of moving away from that kind of people-based approach in the control room as a, as one example. Are you, what are you seeing as, as kind of other kind of challenging things that you're kind of needing to work through. So for my end of it, because it is a it's it's a huge and, and, and complex endeavor managing the electricity system and, and keeping people safe and keeping the lights on and, and doing it in a cost-effective way. From where I sit, the challenge for us is to design new products around the needs of the system and to find that balance between operability and accessibility. Mm-hmm. And what we want to make sure is that there are no unnecessary barriers to entry so as long as any any technology type any provider regardless of what voltage level they're connected at on the system if they've got the capability if they can meet the system need that's required to to keep the lights on and to balance supply and demand they should be able to participate and compete in the markets and i think over the last 12 to 18 months we've really stepped up our engagement with industry through bodies like the, the energy storage network to elicit that kind of direct feedback. There's nothing like getting that kind of that, that feedback to say, where, where do we where do we need to do better? Where where are those kind of unnecessary barriers? And how do we how do we create markets that are accessible and, 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 and equitable? That's the thing that we've really been focusing on uh, in, in, in my part of uh, part of the ESO. And it's it's difficult. It's a hard balance, right? You want to move at pace, you want to deliver quickly to get that value but you also want to make sure that you're bringing stakeholders with you and genuinely listening to their feedback taking it on board and trying to trying to change your approach accordingly and those those things can sometimes be in uh, provide us with attention like kind of moving at pace and getting something done but at the same time making sure that people feel like they've had a chance to co-create with us and it's not being done to them as well has been has been a challenge for us 
Yeah, that stakeholder engagement is really important. It's something we, you know, the regular kind of ESN, ESO meeting, something the members really value. So, um, and it, yeah, it does, it definitely throws up some kind of questions that A, the members might not have considered that the things you're grappling with and likewise things you guys haven't considered um, as kind of part. So I think that's, that's a really positive thing. In your previous answer, you kind of touched on kind of investment and I know you can't really speak on behalf of investors, but I know that some investors are really confident and kind of comfortable with that kind of merchant model around um, around the markets and others are much more kind of sceptical. Do you have any kind of calming words you can tell the ones that aren't quite so kind of confident in that model, you know, why you believe it is the right approach? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I guess thinking back to kind of basic principles, exchange traded power prices have always been volatile. There's always been that exposure to merchant risk. And as whether it's renewables or storage providers or new new market actors become integrated into the energy market, they're gonna they're gonna be you know they're gonna be exposed to merchant risk to to that kind of transition of of uh, you know of having to base their forecasted returns on you know, forecasts of the of the of the energy price in the future or of the ancillary service price in the future, and for me. I think what's really important is that we consider the value of short-term markets. Um, they can remove forecasting risk as well as allowing um, changes to parties' commercial strategies as well. And I think that's really important for storage, you know, being able to take advantage of arbitrage opportunities, being able to move between markets. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, I, I hear what people are saying and that short-term markets may also uh, not increase investor confidence, right? Where you are risk averse, um, and maybe you require more stable returns uh, to secure financing. You know, I, get, I, I see that longer term contracts would deliver a lower cost of capital for investments, and that's that's you know attractive and important. But on the other hand, those longer term contracts, and we always have to think in terms of the end consumer and getting them value for money. They may create higher costs for balancing because we could lock in technologies which actually may be cheaper in the future. And we've seen that with storage, for example, you know, the costs of storage have come down significantly over the last five years. Or we may lock ourselves into the procurement of a contract which you know, may no longer be relevant as system needs change over time. So what we're trying to do to give investors more confidence and to give them a clearer view is to be very clear on our commitment that we're going to design products that are standardized that are going to be fit for the future. So we're not going to be chopping and changing. We're going through a significant period of reform and development of new products. But these are products that we're doing now that will be right for the next, you know, for the next 10 or 15 years. These are the, these are the, the, the products that are going to be there. And we're going to be more transparent on our, on our needs and making sure that those markets are open and accessible to all market participants. Because we think that deep, frequent, competitive markets produce stable price signals. You know, I think that's that's the important thing. In theory, if there's enough historic price data, you don't need long-term contracts as the investor can make their business case based on price forecasts. Mm -hmm. And we'll see, I think, as people have become competitive on things like operating costs and on construction costs, I think being competitive on how you manage merchant risk will be a differentiator for providers in the marketplace and will help win investment and help them to compete. I think we're taking big strides to make sure that we're being as open as possible. So our data portal, I think, is a really key 
tool that will help investors with the confidence so they'll see the they'll see the needs that are there they'll see the forecasts out into the future they'll see the day you know the days of day ahead trading on our on our products kind of rolled in through giving them that kind of history and these markets you know they'll work and we're going through a, a kind of transition period and it's the same transition period, I guess, that investors have gone through with things like feed-in tariffs and other subsidies that have become more competitive over time. And I guess they've become more sophisticated at how they manage things like that. Mm. And tools like power purchase agreements and stuff have become really important to them. And I think with ancillary services, accepting that merchant risk, becoming more sophisticated in how you how you manage it, seeking the opportunity in it, and also relying on the data that's being provided and the price signal is there from consistent competitive deep liquid markets will give investors the confidence they need. Oh, that's good. That's really useful. I think, um, yeah, I think we're seeing where some investors are comfortable with it. They're really comfortable, and they, but they have to really understand the technology and the, the upside and the, down, and the downside. And I think, yeah, they're really happy. So I think it is a case of bringing people on that journey with us and keeping them informed, keeping them in the loop. So, yeah, definitely kind of more data and availability of information, I think, is, is key to that. We also said back in 2017 in Snaps that we would always look for that mixture of mm-hmm. deep liquid short-term markets and also long-term contracting opportunities. And there's, you know, for non-energy products, we are we are looking at, at, at longer-term contracting. So we things like our stability pathfinder work or the or the voltage pathfinders, where we've seen um, energy storage and non-traditional players mm-hmm. competing to to win long-term contracts for these system needs as well. So we. We are hearing that and we are looking to try and find that that mixture because no one will make an investment decision on one market, right? They're mm-hmm. going to look at value stacking, they're going to look at energy arbitrage, ancillary services and other opportunities. And we're trying to make sure that we create that you know, broad market access. That was actually going to be my last question, Colm. So I wanted to talk about the fact that kind of rapid and real-time management of frequency is becoming more important with the more renewables and also the less kind of inbuilt inertia. So what really is inertia and why is it a problem and maybe kind of to delve a little bit into the stability pathfinder um, so it's a okay. big last question <laughs> I think when you, this is the the, the the challenge right explain explain inertia and um, so what is what is inertia i guess and um, inertia is the tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged and from from a system inertia it's it's very similar so i'm scratching my head from my a-level physics here but it's essentially when we think about frequency it's the dampening effect it's the ability for uh, the system to handle and recover from from shocks quite quite you know quite quickly and and for frequency response and to, to be able to catch that fall and then reserve and other holdings to come in and build it back up and Kind of inertia is like the weight of the system you know how, how resilient it is to shocks and traditionally it's been provided by large thermal power stations you know, coal gas nuclear anything that has the momentum of large spinning turbines providing that that inertia and being synchronized in lockstep and providing the kind of system frequency mm-hmm. we're seeing inertia decrease because of the changing generation mix because you know, we don't want to burn dinosaurs anymore. We we want to use you know, wind power, solar power, leverage you know, battery storage to to move to a lower carbon um, society, and they don't provide an equivalent. You know, they don't have the large spinning turbines. They don't provide that that kind of system frequency. They're not they're not synchronized. Um, and so, what we're trying to do is develop new products that that either provide the equivalent of inertia from from low carbon technologies 
or help help increase inertia on the system or provide faster acting frequency response so that we can operate in a operate a system that does have less inertia and perhaps a higher rate of change of frequency. And we do that in two ways. One is looking at things like the stability pathfinders, where we are looking at technology that can provide inertia without necessarily providing the megawatts because we may not need them. Um, and that was the first phase of the stability pathfinder. And we're now looking at other longer term stability requirements through the second and third phase of the pathfinder for long term opportunities to provide um, inertia onto the system, as well as managing frequency with faster acting products like like dynamic containment. So the combination of the two is kind of working towards a kind of double pronged solution. Yes. That's good. Well, well, thank you, Colin. You've answered a good list of my questions. So <laughs> I definitely feel like I've put you on the spot for a few of those. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's it's just a useful kind of setting. Is there anything about the kind of markets that you, I've not asked you that you'd think would be useful to kind of share with people to kind of bring them, like get everyone on the same page, essentially help kind of piece that puzzle together? I think uh, I think the the important thing is is to keep engaging with us um to keep providing feedback and where something doesn't doesn't make sense you reach out to me reach out to my team we're really happy and very keen to talk to stakeholders market actors providers to to better understand their needs and to see where the gaps are because this is day in day out stuff for us and sometimes you know when you do that it can seem like well it's obvious that's what we're doing this is why we're doing it but if anything's not clear we're really keen to be able to to, be able to share that, to join the dots for people, to help them understand and, and, and to be able to provide the services that we need. So it's, I guess, to say, look, keep engaging, keep providing feedback, keep working with us um, because you know, nobody has a monopoly on good ideas. And I think some of the best things we've done have been in conjunction with stakeholders over this over this pandemic period in terms of trialing solutions in the DM or, or, or developing and launching new products. And so I think let's just keep that continuing into the future. Yeah, great. I think there's definitely a lot of innovation and good ideas in the market. So I don't think we'll be short of those, hopefully. <laughs> Bill, thanks so much for joining me today. It's really helpful. Not at all. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Rachel.